The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pixie Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Wednesday, September 30th. About to roll into October. I think the 30 days in September, maybe 31. We'll find out uh, tomorrow when it's October, when it's not. Uh, I know. Thank you. Uh, excited. Of course, it's Wednesday. You know what that means. It's time for a Brady Quinn football show. By the way, what about my 3 0? Oh, no! Did I not load it correctly? Got it, guys. No, I'm done. There it is. I didn't load for some reason. I thought you, were got, I thought you had the... I uh, had air horns. I plugged you it You had the air horns? Oh. I had air horns and everything. Man, maybe next week. What the maybe hell happened to the air horns? Tyron Mathieu. That's not it. <laughs> Mathieu. Is he being serious? For a long time. No, do you, do, now, this is the best one. Tony may have pulled a hamstring or a <laughs> muscle, and there is complete elation. That's when the uh, Randy Bullock missed the kick for the Bengals. Right. Ah, I changed that sound drop like an hour ago. I'm so disappointed. I don't know what to do with my life now. It's a yes. Randy Quinn football show. <laughs> Oh, that's legit. All right. I'm excited. I didn't change the label. That's on me. That's on me. I, I switched oh, it up. That's if amazing. You can see these little, if you can see it on pick6.com or youtube.com slash pick6, usually I change the labels on here and I, I didn't, I didn't change it with my Sharpie. So that's, that's amazing. Okay. That was a fun intro, Brady. Uh, by the way, football season's rolling full steam ahead and to celebrate it and to thank you guys for being such loyal listeners. We are giving away, when I say we, I mean the Pick 6 podcast. We are giving away a 65-inch television and a power station. It is completely free to enter. If you listen to this podcast and you want to be and you want to win a 65-inch television, go to cbssports.com slash pick six giveaway. Pick six, P-I-C-K-S-I-X, G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y. Pick six giveaway. Go there. The link's in the bio the episode description here. You have until October 25th. Go there, do whatever you got to do to enter, and you can win a 65-inch television. Mom, don't do it. You can't. You're not eligible. Um, download, subscribe, rate, and review. You got a question for Brady? You got a question for any one of our uh, many experts, awesome people that come on the show? 
Uh, do that. Uh, leave a five-star review. We will answer it for you. Next week, Brady and I will do quarter season awards where Brady will claim that, I don't know, I don't know what you'll claim, that uh, Josh Allen is the MVP. That's my prediction. You'll say that. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, but we're going to dive in on quarterbacks this week. Uh, we're going to split it into good and bad quarterbacking, Brady. <laughs> but first, a topic near and dear to your heart, COVID-19. Uh, is affecting the Titans and the Vikings. Both teams have suspended in-person activities after eight people with the uh, with the Titans, three personnel or three players and five personnel guys tested positive. They're doing contact tracing. They're being removed from the facilities, et cetera, et cetera, to try and figure it out. Uh, how do you think this plays out? And maybe more importantly, how will, assuming they go ahead with the game, as it seems like that is the plan. On, on Sunday or maybe even push it back to Monday. What, what do you think? How will that impact the Titans specifically against the Steelers? Yeah. So their facilities closed down until Saturday at this point. And I, I think obviously the, the biggest thing that's going to impact is their ability to prepare. Now, I, I don't know uh, what they're technically able or allowed to do based on the NFL, the NFLPA's rules for this scenario. Uh, obviously Mike Vrabel and his staff probably have an idea, but if I was Ryan Tannenhill, this is what I would be doing. I'd be, I'd be getting my wide receivers, my tight ends, my running backs together, my team. I'd be walking through stuff on a high school field. I would find any facility possible where we could go out and at least walk through or go through some routes on air and go through some of the concepts and talk about this sort of thing. If we are shut out of the facility until Saturday. So uh, I could promise you this much. Um, you know, they talked about it not being an excuse. And the NFL is going to continue to push forward. So you as a player, you as a coach, you have to do everything you can with the Zoom meetings and then maybe even finding ways to get everyone together outside of, you know, what's technically deemed or allowed uh, to prepare yourself because there's no excuses in the NFL. If they drop this week's game, right, this is a 3-0 football team. If they drop this week's game, uh, no one's going to be crying, you know, next week for them. You know, it's, it's, you know, life as usual, we're moving on. So clearly the preparation is going to be the biggest thing. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, Will, it's always funny because as a player, there are times when you have a great week of practice and you go out Sunday and you stink. And then there's times when you have a bad week of practice. You feel terrible going into the game. And then you go out of the game, you ball out. And so I, I kind of wonder, like, in this case where – you know, there's a chance that there might not be much practicing at all going on. Uh, you know, how will that ultimately really Im- impact them when it comes Sunday and time to play, right? Like there was that whole study done about the guy who visualized shooting 100 free throws versus the guy who practiced, physically practiced shooting the free throws. And they actually ended up, you know, shooting about the same when it was all said and done. So I wonder how much that's going to apply here to the Titans because they're the team that's more impacted by it. <clears throat> Excuse me, the Vikings, they don't have any positive tests. Uh, from all accounts right now. And it sounds like they only have to shut down their facility until Thursday. Yeah. And I, I think that like, you know, if you're the Vikings, you get back in there Thursday, you get three days of practice. Maybe you crank it up a little bit. Um, and, and then you, you know, then you just, you go do your work. Plus, I mean, yeah, I, I would, I mean, I can't imagine it doesn't affect the Titans to some degree. Would you, if you're the, if you're Tennessee, are you saying, all right, let's, let's hunker down and like our game plan is now just going to be to pound the living crap out of the ball? I mean, or is there some different way that you would, uh, be approaching it? Um, I, I think I'd, I'd obviously want to rely on the things that we've been doing successfully. I would really limit uh, in the passing game in particular, the amount of new things that we would be interjecting into our game plan, right? Any new concepts, situations, like third down red zone, um, those things would be tough to be able to implement and then go out there and 
call it with confidence and be able to execute it with confidence if you're Ryan Tannenhill. So, uh, look, I think the good thing for him is, you know, Ryan's played enough football in this league where he'll be able to adjust. I mean, there are times when during a game, you literally come over the sidelines and you're like, hey, this ain't working. We got to do something else. And so you're drawing stuff up on the sidelines that you maybe haven't practiced before. So, uh, those scenarios sometimes happen. The hard thing is, is like you're basically talking about potentially an entire, you know, game plan or an entire game that they don't have the, uh, the opportunity to practice at full speed with one another potentially. Again, we're, we're speculating right now because we don't know. And like I said to you before, Will, if it was me, I'd be doing all – I'd have him in my backyard. I'd have him doing something, maybe out in the street. But I would be having Corey Davis, uh, A.J. Brown, the rest of the group. Like those guys, we'd be, we'd be getting together and throwing the ball around a little bit uh, and making sure everyone's on the same page. It seems smart. And are you surprised that the NFL is just forging ahead? Because I'm not at all. No. Like this is – the NFL – I think the NFL is – uh, like if you're doing, so my son Robbie is doing, we're doing heavier and lighter in school right now. Like what's heavier, a feather or a rock? And it's like, really? Okay, cool. Kindergarten seems easy. Um, but like competitive balance for the Titans or getting 16 games in. Guess which one weighs more? You know, it's like, it's obviously the 16 games. The NFL cares, cares way more about it. I don't think they would put the Titans or the Vikings or anybody in like physical harm's way. But I do think that, you know, they're like, listen, you know, tough, go play. Well, I mean, you could make the case that this is actually allows them to preserve everyone until they get to the game, right? Like, no one's going to get injured in practice this week. No one's going to tweak anything in practice. So, technically, you could probably make the case, at least from the NFL PA standpoint, they're like, hey, we at least know our guy is going to get there Sunday. You know, we just don't know how prepared they're going to be. And look, we've been through a few weeks of, of, of games at this point. So, I think they probably feel good about, you know, where they're at. I think the biggest thing is, you know, the intensity. Like, are guys mentally going to be able to flip that switch and turn it on come game time? Uh, that's one question that you kind of have. You know, when, when you get uh, along the course of a game week, it's a little bit easier to ramp yourself up and build yourself up for it. You're a creature of habit. Uh, you're accustomed to that normal schedule. So then having to not have much practice time and all that, not have that same intensity throughout the course of the week, how does that potentially impact you and just your mindset come Sunday? Yeah, it's like if you're used to your routine of the NFL season, then three weeks in, they're like, hey, you're going to do a show every day at 4 o'clock that we didn't tell you about until right now, except not on Tuesday sometimes, depending on what happens with the soccer. And you're like, okay, uh, sure, I'm totally prepared for that. That doesn't mess And you're going to host it, too. You're going to host it, right? Host it. Right, 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 right. It's, yeah, uh, really my show, even. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the, um, it is true, though, like, I think, and I'm not trying to suggest that I'm similar to an NFL athlete in the sense of the routine, but I do think, I do think when you cover the NFL, you sort of develop the same rhythmic yeah. part of your lifestyle. You Legend. know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. No, I mean, that was one of the things that someone asked me about, you know, Hey, what's it been like, you know, becoming a broadcaster and, and covering the NFL, covering college football. And I said, well, you're still beholden to that NFL schedule. You know, like if you're trying to plan out your year, and your vacation time with your family or when you have free time, it revolves around the NFL calendar. And, and so you, whether it's, you know, during season or during the off season, and that is something that's kind of interesting that like everyone's, and that's look and with COVID right now in 2020, everyone's got to be flexible too. Like as sure. much as we're thinking about the players and their inability to practice and prepare, think about the, the media members there in Tennessee or in Nashville, you know, think about their preparation, what they're going to talk about. They maybe they'll have the same access. Maybe they won't. You know, maybe they get to see parts of, you know, whatever they end up doing this week. Maybe they won't. So uh, they're kind of left in the dark. They've got to figure out how they're going to have to go about handling this, writing about this. We're all in the same boat right now in 2020 with COVID. Uh, okay. I have one more question for you, not related to COVID. Uh, did you, 
you didn't do the halftime show on Saturday. You did the pregame show, but not the halftime show. Somebody Correct. asked me about this. I don't know why. I said you probably flew to Arizona. Correct? I did. Yeah. Okay. That's what I figured. And, and reason being is, you know, with the schedule. LAX. It's a pain in the ass. No, it's not that actually, even though there was traffic on a Saturday, which was like bizarre considering, you know, I, I guess maybe a bunch of people were going to the beach. So maybe it's not that, that bizarre. Um, because it does seem like a lot of businesses, everything's kind of shut down there. So maybe it would have been better during the week, but right. no, um, we have a, a set schedule. Uh, usually the away team we would go then and meet with. So we were actually staying in the same hotel as the Detroit Lions. However, we are separated in our own rooms doing a zoom call, which is just bizarre when you think about it, considering like Matt Patricia was probably like to the next, next room over the next room up for me. Uh, we're sitting there talking, you know, via zoom, but. Um, yeah, I, I had to, I had to leave at that point in time to be able to get there in time for those Zoom meetings. Uh, so yeah, I should, okay, that's what I figured. That's what I told the per, maybe it was Wilson who asked me. He was like, why wouldn't Brady on the halftime show? I was like, he probably had to get to Arizona. He was like, it, it, it'll be like that this week too. I'm calling the Seattle, uh, at Miami game. So, Ooh, um, Seattle I, at Miami? Seattle at Miami. So I'm, I'm taking the latest flight out so I can be a part of it. But like, I've already had to move up the schedule for when we speak with the coaches at Miami and, and same thing with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. little bonus for you that you get to drive home from work on Sunday, too. That is true. That is true. It'll be nice. It'll yeah. be nice. After actually spend the night with your family on a Sunday. Sounds lovely. Um, let's take a break. I, 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 my wife's like, you're going to come upstairs and tell her I can night? I'm like, no, this football game. Won't. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, all right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will uh, break down some quarterback play. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay. The good, the bad, and the ugly. No, we'll just do the good and the bad and sort of break down what, what you're seeing from tape, from film, you know, from your general the buzz around the league, all, all that stuff. Let's start with the, the, one, the first, the guy, the guy who's the lead. I know the MVP is stupid after three weeks. I don't care. Russell Wilson is the MVP three weeks in. He's on pace for 74 touchdowns. He's completing almost 80% of his passes, nine yards per attempt, one interception that wasn't even his fault, Greg Olson, uh, nine sacks, and, like, I think he has, like, 20 com- incompletions. I mean, he's been ridiculous. They're letting Russ cook. Uh, is it the, the analytics community, and I know you're steeped in analytics in terms of your coverage of professional football. Um, they actually – I'm being sarcastic there. You see, pick up on it. Um, but – a lot of play action early on, a lot of th- throws on first and second down. Do you think what the Seahawks did is smart, or is it obviously smart, and do you think it's sustainable? What can we see from Russell the rest of the year? What have you seen so far? Well, th- there's a number of things at play. Uh, people are going to make and try to draw whatever conclusions they can, whether it's via analytics or whatever else. It's a small sample size. So anyone who follows data or analytics, 
they would tell you right now that, you know, is this sustainable at this pace? Of course not. We've never seen it before. Uh, teams are eventually going to start, you know, playing more uh, pass defense or those sorts of coverages on early downs and really ask or invite the Seattle Seahawks to run, which is kind of what they've always wanted to do. But look, the, the jump and, and looking at what he's done the first three weeks, I think I have something to do with all the parts involved, right? Let's start off the offensive line. I actually think with the exception of when they've suffered a couple injuries, this group has played pretty well. Uh, this might be one of the better groups that he's actually had during his time there, uh, which is kind of saying something because some of the, the offensive lines he's had been really poor at, or, or, you know, yeah, or, or just a, or, you know, a pro, you know, work in progress. Uh, when, when you think about some of the guys who have started and, and just, you know, transitioning them, for example, J.R. Sweezy, who was a college defensive lineman, right? Converted into an offensive lineman. Like it's going to take some while. And now he's, look, he's a, he's a veteran. He's a pro. He's started for Arizona doing a great job, but it, it had taken him some time to get accustomed to it. So when you take all those things into account, this is one of the better groups he's had during this time. Uh, DK Metcalf, you know, just his jump and emergence. As a wide receiver, you know, he, he honestly looks like the second coming of T.O. to me. Uh, I don't know if, if you view it as the same, but I think if you look at his body size, uh, just how explosive he is, um, you know, those things kind of jump out to me as like, man, this guy really looks similar to T.O. And then you have Lockett and then you have, you know, um, Freddie Swain, who I think is in for a, a big season as he continues to emerge as one of those targets, uh, more obviously as well, but they're tight ends. I mean, the, the way those tight ends block, the way those tight ends can be a part of the play action pass and boot game, they just have everything working for them right now. And, and so I, I think it's in part the weapons, the O-line, and then obviously his mastery of the offense. You know, if you if you break down his tape, uh, and, and here's an analytics stat for you, like go look at his adjusted completion percentage. He's probably, no matter what the situation may be, it could be a clean pocket, it could be versus pressure or blitz, he's probably, his adjusted completion percentage is like 80%, 90% in some cases. Like when you watch the tape on him, there's very few footballs that he throws that aren't catchable or, or, you know, at least give his, his pass catchers an opportunity to get the football. Uh, and, and, you know, everyone's, you know, gaga about the touchdown passes. I mean, think about it. He should have one more, right? If not for DK Metcalf slowing down across the goal line and Diggs knocking that out, he really should have 15 right now. If he's throwing the pick six that he threw, maybe it is 16. So, uh, bottom line is I, I think they've got everything working to their favor. Uh, but it's somewhat his mastery within the offense and it's a combination of everything. It's not just, Play action pass and throwing it early downs. Um, that, that's, that's always something that I, I think you try to do. Uh, but they've been able to execute it successfully because of the sum of the parts. So Russell Wilson's expected completion percentage, 67%. His actual completion percentage, 76.7, which is almost 10 percentage points higher than, and that the 10, the difference there, uh, leads the league by His far. His completion percentage versus the blitz is like 67%. He's got four touchdowns and no picks. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do against him. He has continually answered the call. I mean, the, the throw he made, I believe it was to Carson out of the backfield. Uh, I want to say it was this past week. Uh, I've watched so much film and tape on him at this point. I'm, I'm mixing up probably. Prepping this past for it, yeah. Um, but he, Maybe it might have been the Falcons game for the throw to Carson. Uh, it wasn't the Falcons. Um, but anyway, yeah. maybe it was. Now that I think about it, maybe it was. But I mean, he got that ball out so early. I mean, he knew where he wanted to go with the football. He knew the spot he wanted to throw to. Uh, and he just put, you know, a nice trajectory and touch on it. I mean, he's, he's really got a good feel now for this offense. What about his third year being now with Brian Schottenheimer? So yeah. it, it's, it, that's a big part of it too, is when you have continuity within the system, it helps. By the way, I would point out that Brian Schottenheimer, friend of the podcast, was on, uh, he was, he was on the podcast this offseason. Shoddy. And Shoddy. Love Shoddy. 
Yeah. And uh, tell him I said hey this weekend. Um, and uh, I don't let you up to that. Uh, and um, I asked him, I was like, man, uh, am I, am I, I was like, am I crazy or do, this, do these pieces that you guys have assembled between Lockett and Metcalf and Philip Dorsett, Greg Olson, like all those receivers are really good on play action. Like they can get so deep, so quick on you that if you run play action successfully or if you, you smell a blitz coming, you can go up top, to, like Lockett. I mean, the two touchdown pass, I know the Cowboys secondary stinks, but yeah. like these guys have been running free. I mean, like even Metcalf had a couple steps on Stephon friggin' Gilmore in, in that game. I mean, like they, they get vertical. Oh, so- that's, that's what I'm thinking of. We hit that. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've all been, uh, yeah, they've been, he's, he's been a lot ball. of guys with touchdowns. Hey, what did you think about the Gator roll from the Cowboys guy? The Gator roll from what? You see where he rolled Carson's ankle? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough because you'd like to think that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak on it one way or another only because, uh, I've, I've been a part of too many teams and heard too many things where, you know, guys will, will do these little kind of dirty things here and there and then act like they were oblivious to it. I feel uh, like it's less prominent now because there's so like, there's a billion people with phones or like screen. Gra- it's not that. I just think you don't get the type of kids or guys coming into the league now that do that sort of thing. I mean, back in the day, um, I mean, there's just, there would be guys who played dirty like that. There'd and be big- who stepped on somebody's like face. Yeah. I mean, Richie Incognito always got Albert like, Hainsworth. I mean, like what? And, and there, were, there were guys who would be like that. Like they wanted to get in your head mentally and they wanted to do things and try to hit you or mess with you. So that you were more preoccupied with that instead of doing your job. You know, that was like that mental warfare. That was how players used to play and you know, how they used to be. Um, I just don't see quite as many players who come into the league anymore, uh, who talk as much trash. Like it's kind of like the NBA, like everyone's all buddies. They want to join teams to go win a championship. Uh, it, it's kind of like that now too. All these kids are recruited at the same level. They're kind of friendly with one another. There's really not quite as much like hatred towards one another. It's, it's more love. And that's just drastically different than like 20 years ago. Uh, where, you know, I, I don't want to talk to anyone from an, a rival team. I don't care. Like I wasn't, I wasn't going to hang out with them in the off season. Or if I saw them somewhere in the same city in Vegas, like get out of here with that, you know? I, ironically, you now do a pregame show with Reggie Bush and Matt Leiter. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but, but it's not like it's always friendly either. You know, right? I mean, we, we sometimes have to put on a nice face, but th- there's definitely some debates and some arguments in there. By the way, DK Metcalf through, uh, three games, averaging 24.8 yards per catch. Yeah. At, that is insane. Uh, I was just looking up T.O. I mean, you forget that T.O. didn't even really explode until his third year with San Francisco. Um, I was going to say, if you actually compare Metcalf's rookie year to T.O.'s second year, they're pretty comparable when you actually look at the stats of those two, if you want to check that out. That's, that's, I, that's, that was the comp I was, I was looking for. Yeah. 58 catches, 900 yards, seven touchdowns, 15, 15.5 yards per reception for a 22 year old Metcalf. And then, uh, T.O. in his second year, 60 catches, 936 yards, eight touchdowns, 15.6 yards per catch for a 24 year old T.O. Good call. Yeah. So uh, I don't, and I don't think T.O. played his whole entire rookie year, if I'm not mistaken, too. Yeah. He only started 10 games for the four years. Yeah. So yeah. He, I mean, look, T.O., I mean, it's pretty crazy that like you think you're like, yeah, yeah, but Metcalf's bigger. Cause I mean, T.O. was huge, you know, he's not, yeah, I was going to say he's not that much bigger. Like, if you, like, couldn't you picture DK Metcalf, like, out in front of his house doing sit-ups and, like, talking to the media? Like, like yeah, like, I, I mean, I, we've seen him with a shirt off enough times, like, very similar, I think, to T.O. All right, I like it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, 
Hey, I, I took one on the chin for this and I'm, I'm fine with it. Like you're not going to be right all the time in this business. And I was dead ass wrong on Aaron Rodgers. He's looked awesome this season. Um, in fact, I have a, a, for some reason, an alert that just popped up on my thing for my apologies to Aaron Rodgers, the column that I wrote on, uh, on Monday. And you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I was wrong. The, the second year in this offense, they have, they have designed these play action looks to be identical to their run game. And it's similar to what Kyle Shanahan wants to do in San Francisco. Rogers is slinging the deep ball. What? I mean, it's just what they did. Well, I mean, no, they... I'm laughing only because like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Kyle Shanahan's off. Well, everybody's trying to do it, but I'm saying like, yeah. I mean, obviously you want play action to look like. A you run. want to mimic what you're doing in the running game. Yeah. But, but I'm saying like, you see that with Kyle Shanahan where they have the different, they, they have all the pre-snap motion and all that, that is, designed to throw the defenses off, and then you have the, the flow look like, and then you come back the other way. I get that's what football is, Brady. I'm not a moron. Well, it, it's it's what the misconception, I think, is with motions and, and shifts and all that is you're really trying to gather information, you right. know, and then once you figure out what front, based on the personnel you're using, because they're going to try to match your personnel, then you're utilizing those those shifts to get to a formation where you have angles in the running game. Or you're utilizing motion to get leverage, right? Because that's what defense lives based upon is holding their leverage. So that's really what you're trying to do or attempting to do. And when you run a lot of the misdirections or when you're running the football and then running a boot off of it, you're trying to break their leverage, right? You're trying to break contain on either side of that, either the outside run, the outside zone, you know, or on the boot. So that's more of the goal of it is, is you're trying to break all their principles and everything that the, the defense abides by. And you're doing that with looks that guarantee you the type of fronts and the type of box counts that you're trying to run against or potentially throw the football against. Well, and you know, you're going to find out pretty quickly if the, whether they're playing, you know, the defense is playing man or zone. I mean, you know, if, you know, if you're running somebody across the middle, there, there's no one following and then presumably it's zone. I realize you can disguise that different ways as well with the coverages. Well, but- and then you could still play like some teams play. That's, that's when you do your due diligence, if you will, on, on preparing for a game, you know, some teams will actually run the corner over and they'll play zone out of that. You just have to understand during your week of prep, like, are they one of those teams that's going to do that? Um, you know, there, there's some teams that, like, usually when you're base personnel and you get in, like, an I formation, right, and you motion your Z across to go to an I right slot, you know, if that cornerback runs with them, you typically are saying, man, but that's not always the case. You know, some teams will still play cover two out of that. They'll play, you know, two slot, uh, depending on the system and what you call it. But those are just things that you try to learn about based on your studying. Well, I, for example, the two plays of Alan Lazard down the field, it felt like those were entirely set up on the, on the Packers ability to run the football and be physical in that run game. And then you know that New Orleans is sort of selling out a bit and you can get the guys to bite on the play action. They come in and you go up top. But I mean, the plays looked identical to what they were running. And it, yeah. it, just, it, it but it feels like. Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are on the same page. And, and this is what bugs me about it. I mentioned on, on Monday's show. Like I hammered the idea of consistency at the quarterback position, OC, offensive line, head coach, and then I ignored that with the Packers, and that was stupid. <laughs> well, look, it's not, dude, everyone's guilty of it, right? Like I, I think I'm even guilty of them not doing enough in the offseason to provide him with enough weapons. But they internally obviously felt great about what they had on their roster, whether it's Sternberger's growth or Tanyan at the tight end spots or looking at Valdez Scanling and how him and Alan Lazard would continue to grow from last year. So – I actually think it's brilliant because much like you, the one thing we all kept talking about with, with every team was continuity, continuity, continuity. And, and we kind of, for whatever reason, just thought this was a team that was like devoid of talent or they wouldn't be better off, yeah. you know, with the guys they currently have in the roster. So I, I think a lot of us were dead wrong in that respect. 
I, I think what we didn't foresee happening is how big of an advantage the cadence has. And when you look at how Aaron Rodgers uses it, it completely nullifies the pass rush and not having that crowd in the Superdome really provided an advantage for, I think, Aaron Rodgers, but also I think away teams when you go in there now. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers, that means he's going to have an advantage in situations with no fans. And by the way, there will be no fans in Buffalo moving forward. The Bills announced that, uh, which means there won't be Bildos flying on the field when Josh Allen goes which, flying into the By the, the way, end. like even, even places where there are fans, it's not enough. They're wearing face coverings. They're spread out. Like, it really doesn't play an impact on it. You know, I mean, we, I, I called a game this past week. They had like 500 or 700, I think, family and friends that came out. There was actually a nip slip, which was actually pretty funny on the Jumbotron. Yeah, there was, there was a chick who was down there and like they were playing some music and she like had a crop top on and she picked her hands up, like throw her hands up and she clearly wasn't wearing a ball. It It was just a slip. I mean, it was like a lift shirt came up and everyone's like, Oh, and I remember like we were during a break and I was like, Oh, and one of my camera guys made mention of it, but she was uh, fairly embarrassed. She left probably to go to the concession or something for a while, but she did eventually come back. Wow. I mean, yeah. It's not like you can hide in the crowd either. I mean, no, no. Yeah. She was spaced out and you knew who it was, but she wasn't as quite, uh, he wasn't as excited as, uh, as, as she displayed earlier in the game. Uh, what, what do you, what do you make of Josh Allen and what we've seen from him so far? By, is, is this, is this the leap he's taking? Should we expect a little comeback to earth? What do you think? No, I, I think this is a leap he's taking. I think this is just how good this offense can operate and be. You know, my biggest concern with him is he, he you know, like I understand he's, he's physical, he's, he's athletic, you know, he wants to extend plays and all that, but he really does take some unnecessary hits. Um, I think my concern for him is him going to miss, he's going to miss a game or two this year. Uh, if, if he keeps, you know, trying to hold on to the football at times and fight off Aaron Donald or any other defensive lineman, it's like, dude, just live the play the next down. Like you're the guy. You don't have to look over your shoulder. You know, it's important that you live the play that next down, that next series. And there's times when I know he wants to continue to keep fighting for it, but that's not going to bode well for their entire team if he goes out with a separated shoulder. So um, that's my only concern, honestly, with, with how they're operating right now. And I think last week was like a big step for him. You know, your, your team has been pretty dominant. You're down. You lead them down the field. And we can talk about a questionable, questionable pass interference call, but if you're a Rams fan, I have no idea how you can say anything based on how week one went with Michael Gallup. And that bad OPI, I, um, OPI call, and then obviously the NFC Championship came from a couple of years ago. Uh, you mentioned the Rams. Jared Goff has actually been uh, much better this season. Sean McVay can, feels like they reworked the offense, and or not reworked the they've got a, the offensive line play has been substantially better. That's a huge deal. He's not stuck in third and long, and you know he's he's able to use his play action. Do you think he's actually has taken a step forward, or is this more like they improved everything around him? I think it's both. I mean, I think he's taking a little step forward, but I also think it's like been a concentration on like Robert Woods. Now you're starting to see how good he is. Um, and obviously some of the other pieces too. Cooper Cup falls in line with that, but, um, and I, I, you know, I think Van Jefferson's going to be a star too once he continues to get more, more reps, more touches, but you, you hit the nail on the head. It's their offensive line. Like he's just not as good of a quarterback if they can't do the things that they're doing right now, whether it's the play action, the boots, or even providing somewhat balance with the run game. We saw that last year. Like when they struggled, their offensive line was getting beat up. I think Whitworth's playing better this year. I think there's a number of guys up front uh, who've done a better job. So to, uh, to me, this team and this offense really kind of goes with their offensive line play. I'm still a huge believer in um, that being one of the biggest differences, um, you know, with, with some of the teams right now that had like a lot of adjustments to make on the O line. When they, when their O line struggles, they struggle. Uh, yeah. they, they didn't have, they didn't have much of an off season to really develop and uh, gel together. So I, I think the ones that, 
either had continuity or have, have been able to play well so far this year. Uh, those are the offenses that have typically have performed extremely well. The Rams, by the way, dead last in uh, pass rate on first and second down. They're just running the ball and they're running it effectively. Daryl Henderson is freaking awesome. He's that. a good player. Yeah, he's a good player. I'm still excited play. about Cam Akers, though. I know he's been a little banged up, but yeah, he's, no, I think, he's I think, a yeah. solid player. I agree. Uh, let's get to the bad. Oh, you can't start. I mean, man, I tell you what, rough season for Dan Orlovsky so far. The uh, <laughs> publicly just pounding the table. Former Lions quarterback now with ESPN publicly pounding the table for Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz uh, to take a huge leap forward. And uh, yeah. uh, Debo wants to know. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, Eric D in uh, from from Philly wants to know for this mailbag question: How can a QB regress this much? Why does God hate my team? <laughs> I mean, look, there are, there are sustained injuries. Uh, that's part of it when you have difference makers. And I know everyone wants to make a big deal about how he played last year, especially. Uh, when they were, you know, void of, of talent at the wide receiver position, but it's hard to continually do that in the NFL. So that plays a role. Their offensive line's been banged up. They haven't been as, as good either. I don't think he has a ton of help in the, in the uh, run game. So it, it's a product of all that, but he's pressed. You know, he, he's, he's forced some things too and made some really poor decisions. Uh, and I don't know how good Doug Peterson's play calling is. Now, granted, it's like, it's hard uh, to, to be confident in some of your play calls when you don't have everyone else out there or you're not even sure what's going to work which I do think it's fair to question everything at this point based on how they've looked. But this is a team that I, I honestly had, I pegged them as a seven and nine football team this year. I, I know even with all their additions, uh, I think people had high hopes for them. I just kind of saw it a little bit different. I think uh, what was good, you know, their defensive front, you kind of figured that coming into it, still had questions about the secondary. And as, as good as I think they looked coming into the season with all these new pieces, you know, pieces, I just thought, you know, after losing Dillard, like how's that going to affect their O-line? They already were limping into the into the season anyway. So, unfortunately, I think all those things have kind of added up to to impact Wentz's play. But, you know, I, I think he's pressing a little bit too. And there's a guy who played on Monday Night Football, uh, former MVP, that he looked like he was pressing the other night, even though he's had a pretty good year up to, up to that point. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, that was that was bad, man. By the way, Carson Wentz, if he has to throw in his career, he's over 40 passes, so 41 passes or more. He's had it happen 20 times, and he has won exactly, I believe, three of those games. No, excuse me, four of those I, games. I think there's only, like, two quarterbacks when you throw the football over, like, ex, probably 40 times right. who actually have, like, winning records, by right. the way. nobody does. That means if you've thrown it 40 times or more, that means you're probably losing. But he's thrown it 42, 43, and 47. And I think the concerning thing is that in week one, they had a 17 nothing lead. Yeah. In uh, week two, they were they got. I mean, he made that horrible throw that was the interception in the end zone. We, we, I mean, like, come on, man! Like, you gotta you gotta know that safety, even if he's a little out of. But position. didn't they say he's got a little Brett Favre in him? Like, you gotta kind of take the yeah. good with the bad, right? I mean, and, and Brett was one of those players where he would throw three incredible touchdown passes, and then you see two picks, and you're like, why did he throw that? You know. So I, I guess you gotta take with the good with the bad, and right now it's just been more bad than good. Yeah. Uh, so Lamar, you mentioned him. Awful game on Monday night. Yeah. Is, you know, you know what it is? Well, like it's getting to the point where I, I, I just, you know, one, I think we expected him to develop, you know, more and more and more as a pocket passer. And, you know, the only times you're really tested with that are when you're down and when you're in a must pass situation. And I just think we've seen time and time again, him struggle to be able to consistently do that uh, when they're down big in games and especially versus the Kansas City Chiefs. 
I think in his starting career, like that's basically outside of what the Titans, like the only other team he's really lost to. Oh, and three. He's only yeah. three against the Chiefs. And, and so, you know, at this point, I don't know if it's mental in, in the sense that like when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes and, and I, I felt this way playing against Favre, playing against Manning. Um, you know, you, you look across the sideline, you're like, crap. If I don't, if I don't score points, if I don't take care of the football, if I'm not perfect, I don't know that we're good enough to have a chance to win. And that's the trap you fall into because you're not playing them. You're playing that defense. And especially when they have a good defense, then that's, it's, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult, you know, for you to play perfect and win a football game. Um, but I think that's when you start pressing. That's when you make mistakes. That's when you, you know, find yourself moving faster through progressions or, just are, are, you know, a little bit off on throws. Now, it's not all on him. I mean, Marquise Brown didn't drop the ball. Andrews, too. He was a part of that. I, I didn't like the way Greg Roman called the game. Awful, awful, awful. Greg, Greg Roman is had a really good run in Baltimore. That's probably his yeah. worst game he's called yet. Well, outside of their playoff game versus Tennessee. Because sure. the, the common denominator was they kind of flipped the script like what Seattle's doing. They tried to throw earlier, you know, earlier in downs, got away from the run game. And it's like, dude, your, your rushing attack will get you chunks of 10, 20 yard runs. Like you don't have to get away from it. It's probably just as explosive or just as successful if you're running a design quarterback run. It had first, it had first in, first in three or like first in goal, whatever it was. They were down in the red zone like that on running plays and then decided to try and pass it three times. And all of a sudden then he kicked the field goal. It was very. Well, yeah, the opening, and then it was funny, like the opening drive of that game, I was thinking to myself, man, uh, you kind of got to go for it here, right? Like I, I know yeah. you got down there easy, but I just got the sense that like this is going to be a high scoring game. Maybe you set the tone and you go for it on fourth down, but they didn't. And the rest was kind of history. Like that was, you know, outside of, and by the way, outside, and then and the kickoff return, like as good as that is for the team and for scoring and like momentum, you also as a quarterback, you're like, Oh, well, now I've got to wait until I get my turn again in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Like you're sitting on the sidelines waiting. It's hard to get into a rhythm. Is what you I'm sort saying. of wanted – it was almost like, oh, I mean, that's great for the score. It, like it is great, but like you kind of want Lamar to get back out there and be able to answer. Oh, dude, I can promise you. Like I – you know, I, I, like I think about the times where you'd have a good return. Like you want good field position, but – self in the end zone. Yeah, you don't want to be in the end zone. Like you want to be plus <laughs> territory. So I know my OC is going to call a shot at some point, either first down, you know, first and 10, P and 10. Or maybe it's like second and five or something like that. Let's take a shot and try to get one in the end zone. Like I want that to happen. I don't want the guy to return it all the way or I don't get to touch the ball at all. Right, right. No, that's true. I, I didn't, I didn't really think about that. And Lamar, you know, he, that throw he missed to Marquise Brown on the sideline is just, I mean, you got to hit like any air on that whatsoever. Marquise Brown had one where he didn't lay out like on the deep sideline. And so you felt like he just kind of got in his head. The early Early ones they showed, it went right through his hands. I mean, those are the things that, you know, they need him to step up and play better. I thought Bozeman's played well this year. He struggled though. You know, Chris Jones had a big game, you know, Skur hasn't been as good as what they had, you know, previously, but you know, it's, it's just, I I don't know. I, I look at like his lack of growth as a pocket passer and, you know, you just question it because they're a playoff team. They're one of the best teams in the AFC, but I think we've seen this story before. It's, it's more about, all right, well, what can they do once they get to the playoffs? And that's the problem is they've had to play from behind versus the Titans. You've had to play from behind versus the Chiefs, and they just don't have that ability to consistently be in that pass mode and be able to win football games. You know, I thought it was a really interesting quote, and I was sort of surprised he even made it, but they asked Patrick Mahomes about Lamar Jackson and, like, going head-to-head. And he said maybe it's sort of – it was either before or after the game. I can't remember. He was like, maybe it's sort of like with me and Tom Brady. I was like, damn, like, that's, like, I mean, you know, yeah, he can't get past you, but, you know, like, that's a pretty big goal. I mean, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, 
Patrick Mahomes showed up at the end of his career and then had to get past him. I understand there's a Jordan Bulls or a Jordan, like a Pistons Bulls thing maybe there, but to say that about someone who's your peer is a little bit different, you know? No, no, I, I mean, it, it, maybe yeah, not I, wrong, but just it's, it's a little bit kind of like, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing is like, there's no doubt Patrick Mahomes is one of the greatest talents this league's ever seen, right? Like, so I think if anyone can get away with it, he probably can. And I think with the way that team looks right now, um, I just, I don't know how you would bet against them the rest of the year. Like I, I fell for it last week. I sat there and looked and I said three and a half. Okay. You know, maybe Baltimore is going to be able to, um, you know, do enough defensively. I think they have the personnel to play similar to how the, they, blitz, like, they kept blitzing him. And I don't I, know it's, it's Don Martindale. Like that's his style. He wants to continue to be aggressive and it's fine, but you got to play more press then you got to, you got to influence Tyree kill and Nico Hardman and not allow those guys to get started. And I understand there's a risk with that, right? You get press man coverage. They could get blown by for a big play, but the reality is, you know, they weren't forcing the football out really. And, and they were giving such a cushion that that is easy living for Patrick Mahomes to have an eight yard cushion on the outside and let those guys with speed push those quarterbacks into a backpedal and had all that room to be able to complete a football. Yeah. And then worst case scenario, the cornerbacks cover and you get like Travis Kelsey sauntering underneath in, in wide open spaces. All right. Uh, we'll get through these other guys quickly. Some younger quarterbacks are struggling as well. Uh, Sam Darnold, man. I mean, it, look, they're O-line. There's no one to throw to. Like, this is the classic case of, you know, a quarterback drafted into just a bad situation circumstance. Like, when you want to start evaluating, like, I, I remember, you know, we were outside early today on radio about, you know, Brian Billick's book, The Q Factor or some crap. I'm like, dude, listen, like, every player is probably a 50-50 shot in the first round. But if you put them in a good situation circumstance, It'll probably work out. Like they'll probably be there for a while. They'll probably be more successful. Look at the guys right now that are young that we view as being most successful. They all have continuity within their system. In some of the cases, if you're talking about like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, you know, or even, you know, I mean, no matter who to throw in that conversation, like they sat for a little bit. They watched the guy who was either a future Hall of Famer or a Pro Bowl caliber player. And then they went in and played and they've had continuity in the system. And, and they've been able to play, you know, basically with on a talented team that's able to be competitive every year. So I just I feel like for him, Daniel Jones is the other quarterback that kind of falls in that category right now. It's tough living, man, when you are born into the NFL and you have nothing around you that that gives you any feeling of stability. Well, so and I I was saying this about um about uh, on the radio the other day about Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold. So when Josh Allen, the Bill, Brandon Bean, and and I agree 100% with your statement. Like, I was just sort of looking at who was drafted in and Where? around when, like, when you went to the Browns. Yeah. Like, if you had not been, if you had been drafted in 2008 by the Ravens instead at the 18th overall pick, like, I, I think your career, like, you know what I mean? Like, your career is probably yeah. drastically different because Joe Flacco didn't have to go in and, and, and do everything for that team. He was put into the perfect situation with a great franchise that put a great, you know what I'm saying? Like that's no, 100%. What matters. We, we actually talked about that. I used that exact example of someone who, I didn't you know, listen they, to your radio show, but I mean, no, I know <laughs> that's, that's the funny thing is like, that's, that's the example I used, uh, in talking about someone who was kind of, you know, put in a situation where they had a great defense, good running game, you know, stability there at the time with the coaching staff. And it ended up leading to him winning a Super Bowl, being the Super Bowl MVP. But I, I don't know that anyone was viewing him as, you know, the, the whole question, is he elite? Like, right, people had to answer that forever because they really didn't know. And the reality is it doesn't matter when it's all said and done, but he was able to make, he's been able to make a lot of money in this league because 
He was born into a great situation and circumstance. The truth is, look, there is probably a handful of guys who can raise and elevate the level of people around them. In the history the of football. Like a hand, like a hand, like. Well, like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, Peyton right? Manning. Peyton Manning. You know, those guys fall in that category. Drew Brees too, you know, I, I think falls in that category. You know, outside of that, it's like there's not many others that don't need help out around them. An offensive line, guys to go catch, a defense to not have to have them score every time they go out. Like, that's the reality. And it's, it's, it's like that in every realm you want to talk about in humanity. Like you have your uber talented people who can do that. And the rest, like they got to be in good situations and they got to be a little bit lucky. So, um, that's the unfortunate part for Sam Darnold and, and Daniel Jones. They're not transcendent talents like a patch Mahomes. And they're, you know, they were born into some bad situations. Well, and I would even argue that, I mean, look, Drew Brees was, had good, had some good years in New Orleans. I mean, in uh, San Diego. Yeah. But it took him, it's like Carson Palmer getting to Arizona. Like yeah. sometimes it takes a good marriage of a coach and a situation and all that. And Drew Brees went seven and nine and led the league in passing three years in a row and needed a great defense to become a 13 win team. I mean, that's football is hard like that. The other one I would say too is like, I, I genuinely believe this that if you flipped Patrick Mahomes and Mitchell Trubisky, that Mitchell Trubisky and Mitchell Trubisky played for Andy Reid and got to sit for a year in Alex Smith's system, that he would be operating at a consistent, like, pro ballish level, and people would view him as a close to a franchise quarterback. And Patrick Mahomes, if he had to go and start in his first year out of Texas Tech for John Fox's team, would end up – he would be this – he would be what we thought he was coming out, this, like – Farvian type of guy who makes huge plays, but also makes some, some, you know, backbreaking mistakes. Cause he like getting a year to learn in Andy Reid's system behind Alex Smith helping you out is a massive difference. It's huge. It's huge. I mean, you know, think about, um, you know, just what Trubisky kind of looks like and everything he's been through since then. Now he's benched. Um, but, but that play 100% plays a role in it. I think the biggest difference between those two though is, you know, one, the, the talent just in general sure. of Mahomes versus him, but also, Mahomes played more games than Trubisky did. So um, a little bit different in that circumstance. But, yeah, I mean, look, the case study is Matt Moore. Matt Moore went in last year, you know, when the Chiefs team. He's, he's, I believe they went one-on-one during his time, you know, starting for them. But he put up some big stats. Like, it was like, oh, like, like pretty much you can go in there. And, yeah, you've got a bunch of guys running around wide open. Uh, and I think this year they're even better. The way their O-line's playing with the rushing attack with Clyde Edwards-Elair. Uh, and then all Clyde, of their – Clyde Edwards-Elair? The... I, that's that's how I've I've uh, always been heard around. I, 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 no, Steve Levy was right. It was just oh, I man. couldn't get it out of my head. He's like, "There's, Ed, it was like, there's Elair again." Oh, how about Pat Mahomes, uh, Patrick Mahomes' mom calling out uh, Lou Riddick? That was kind of fun. I didn't hear that. She tweeted, "This announcer's calling my son Pat over and over again. It's driving me nuts." And they posted it on. The- you know what's interesting? Like calling the Lions Cardinals game. All of the Lions per, like PR kept referring to Matthew. Matthew. Right. And I was sitting there thinking, like, when did this change? You know, like, he's always been Matthew. It's like Philip Rivers is, doesn't go by Phil. Yeah. Right. But I, I've kind of understood that. But like, I think I've called Matthew Matt, like, just, hey, man, what's up, Matt? You know, what's up? Really? Yeah. Maybe. Hey, Matt. I've called Matthew Castle, you know, Matthew. I call him Matt. He's just Matt, though. Do you right. believe, do you, do you believe in the theory? And I, I think there's something to this, like a little bit of this, but like, like I think Joey Harrington, if he if he like when in the say Mitchell Trubisky, like like you know, like I think if Joey Harrington had changed his name to Joseph Harrington, maybe a little bit more success. Your thoughts? I mean, should I have went by Braden? That's technically my real no, name. No, no, maybe no. Brady, Brady's a, Brady doesn't have the same. 
Like, I don't think of Brady and think of like a little, like, I think of Joey and think of like, hey. Oh, like a little kid. Like, hey, how you doing? Hey, it's Joey. Or like, or like yeah. Pete Briscoe. You're like, hey, oh, hey, hey. You yeah, know? Yeah. Hey, it's yeah. Petey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, it's Pete here to play. <laughs> um, uh, Dwayne Haskins, last one. It's just an uphill battle. Like, I, I mean, and one of the things I pointed out in calling their game a couple weeks ago versus the Cardinals is I just got a, a frustration for the way that game was called with Scott Turner, their OC. It just felt like he was still trying to figure it out. And, and I get it because outside of Terry McLaurin, like Logan Thomas hasn't continued to develop to be that real, you know, tight end option. And they're just, they're devoid of talent. And so it's probably frustrating as a, as a play caller, having a young quarterback who's not as consistent as you'd like him to be. Your offensive line play isn't great. And then you're, you know, you don't have a ton of guys who can separate and get open, right? You can draw whatever you want, want on paper. But if those guys can't go out and actually do it and separate and get open, it's, it's hard to complete footballs and it's hard to get into a rhythm. So I, I just think that's going to be a really tough, difficult year. And it's again, another scenario that's so hard to evaluate in my opinion, because if you put that kid against every other quarterback in a t-shirt and shorts and you had him go out and throw, have a throwing contest, let him hit targets, let him do whatever you want as far as quarterback drills, he would be right up there with the top. But the problem is when it comes to football, like, A, he only started one year in college. Yeah. He needs reps. He needs time. And I don't know that Ron Rivera or their, the Washington football team is going to be patient with him or patient enough. And I also think they're not factoring in the fact that their offensive coordinator is a young play caller in this league. Uh, and he's dealing with, I, I think, some of those those growth pains too. Yeah, and it's so, you know, People like to talk about the most important thing in sport and football right now is having a quarterback on their rookie contract. You can't waste the rookie. It's really look like the, the Bills did it right. They went out and got some pieces and then dropped the quarterback in there and let him develop with the pieces they put around him and then, and then supplemented it with more pieces and eventually add right. Stephon Diggs, like a elite piece. The Jets drafted Darnold and then tried to throw a bunch of stuff around him and then threw the stuff away. And now, like, now, now they're going to have to decide, like, they might have to decide, do we draft Trevor Lawrence and trade? It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's probably going to be a new head coach and new general manager. So it's not going to matter at that point. Right? So Douglas sticks around. I don't know. He came in with Gase. I mean, I just think yeah. that the, what you're seeing more often than not, and it sounds like that was Gase's pick to come in as general manager yes. is, you know, you want this head coach and general manager to be aligned. So whoever that next guy is, you identify. You want them to be on the same page. Like, I don't know if you want a holdover. Um, well, well, I agree with you completely. You want them to come in together. The Jets, however, have operated for the last 15 years in a fashion that does not indicate they understand the importance of uh, it, organi- organizational co- cohesiveness. No, it's true. And like I said, just from my time being there in 2013, like oh, yeah, that's right. it was very apparent John Isaac and Rex Ryan were not on the same page, you know, as far as, Geno Smith and just remember the whole preseason of Mark Sanchez getting hurt and just walk into that scenario before week one. I was like, this is going to be an interesting season because, uh, it feels like, you know, Rex doesn't want Geno to start, but they're going to start him because they drafted him and you know, Mark Sanchez is hurt anyway. Um, and so it was, it was interesting, but it, just the disconnect, I think, uh, between, you know, the coaching staff and the front office there was, was quite apparent just as a, uh, a guy was coming in there for about half the season for eight weeks. That'd be fun. That'd be fun to sit around and watch. Uh, all right. You can watch us on the, uh, CBS Sports HQ. You're listening to this today on Wednesday morning, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Myself, Brady Quinn and Pete Frisco will, uh, will do picks for every single game in week four. Brady, always a pleasure. Talk to you next week, buddy. Sounds good.
Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.